Welcome to Creative Income, a podcast that focuses on making a living in the creative space. Whether you're an actor, filmmaker, musician, painter, or anything that doesn't fit the nine to five mold, there is value for you here. I'm Lars Lindstrom. Let's get into it. Okay, hey, what's going on, everybody? Lars Lindstrom here, Creative Income. Uh, this week's going to be a little bit different. Uh, we're going to say it was intentional. I'm going to say that uh, it's just going to be me this week intentionally, um, even though that's not true. I had lined something up, and it, I guess I miscommunicated the time, and so it fell through. So you get me this week, and that's fine. I've been thinking about some things I wanted to talk about. So we can uh, we can just hang out, cuddle up, you know, turn the heat up. And uh, we can we can uh, talk about some things that I've been thinking about since I've started as a cinematographer. Um, there are some some key things that I would like to talk about, not just in cinematography, but just in the creative space. Uh, when you're first starting out, um, you you really need to be a yes person. And I used to say yes man, but I realized how sexist that was, and I should say yes person because that's more politically correct. Um, you need to be a yes person. And what I mean by that is, uh, don't, there's this like kind of faux pas in the artist industry where you need to be an artist and only an artist. But uh, when you're starting out, man, get as much experience in any outlet possible and find the art in anything. So I did wedding videos and I knew I wasn't going to do wedding videos as a career. I didn't want to. I didn't mind doing wedding videos because it paid well, first of all. But then I cannot tell you how beneficial it was for me as a budding cinematographer to to know where the best natural light was coming from. Because I use that. Every time I show up on set, a director will say, I want to shoot this way. And I'll know immediately, well, I'm getting this natural bounce off this building. Or the sun's moving this way, so it'll be prettier under these trees over here. Uh, and I learned that from doing weddings. So, so the first thing is be a yes man or, oh man, I did it. I did it again. Be a yes person. Uh, and, uh, so I did weddings. I did weddings for five years, I think. And while I was doing weddings, I was getting my graduate degree in cinematography. Um, I was doing corporate videos. I was doing like product videos and not, not good product videos either. I mean, it was just like, like friend of a friend had a printer and he needed some shots of it or whatever, you know what I mean? And I, and I would take any odd job possible, uh, because it was, I could see the value in it. Um, and it was artistic. I mean, that's the bottom line. Like everything I did was honing my skills as a lighting professional, as a composing professional, and any chance I got on set was beneficial for me probably like 10 times more beneficial than watching a YouTube video of Roger Deakins explaining a lighting setup. You know what I mean? He's a cinematographer for those that aren't in the industry. So, so yeah, be a yes person. And, and when you're first starting out, don't worry about the rate. Don't worry about, you know, if it's, oh, there's this like stigma. I see memes all the time because I'm in the film community about wedding videos. It's like, like, no, don't let my son be a wedding videographer. And, uh, and they're funny and I get a kick out of them cause I, I was one. Um, but the reality is the last year I did weddings, I made well over six figures doing it and it, and I can't scoff at that. You know what I mean? It was a really, really incredible opportunity for me to springboard what I really wanted to do. Cause I think I, I mentioned in the podcast I did with my dad, 
um, that it was because of weddings that I bought my first cinema camera, which was the Alexa. And, you, you know, like, do whatever you've got to do, man, to, to make it work. And I don't know how this necessarily applies in other industries. You know, you could be a graphic designer, but I, but I think get yourself out there. That's another thing. Um, I always thought that my, my keyword for any conversation I had was, what's your video presence? Anybody that had any kind of mom and pop shop or any kind of business at all, I'd go, oh, cool. That sounds awesome. What's your video presence? And this was probably eight years ago when video presence was actually like a really big deal because of YouTube and everybody was creating video content. I think that's died down a little bit. It's still pretty important, but, um, you know, find out the keywords in your industry. Also, if you remember JP um, Morgan, the photographer's episode, he mentioned something about don't go hang out with people in your industry if you want to make money in your industry. <laughs> so don't don't advertise to other photographers unless you're doing like a course or something like that, and you and you want to you know sell people a course for three hundred bucks or whatever. That's fine. But um, he he approached I think five thousand through mailers. Um, art directors for sets. And so find out who's hiring you and what they're hiring you for. And that's that's the kind of circle you, you want to be hanging out in. I always thought that it would be really beneficial to go to trade shows, not camera trade shows, not NAB or other photographer shows. Go to like cooking trade shows and just go up to booths. You don't even need to, you don't even need a booth. Just go up to booths and say, what's your, who's your graphic designer? Do you have an in-house graphic designer? Who's your in-house photographer? Do you have a video presence? Do you have an in-house team who's doing your marketing? You know, and, and you can, you can be creative that way and, and start to meet people and talk about, you know, it's like, I can't even tell you how many clients you could pick up in one trade show and, and not paying a dime for booths. So that's the kind of outside the box thing we're talking about. If you're looking for clients, if you're looking to pick up different work, if you're just starting out, uh, talk to people about these questions. Find out what the keywords are, and and they'll be, I think you'll be surprised how many how many people will hire you. Um, I I did a video <laughs> right after I graduated my undergrad, um, which was in communications, by the way. I sometimes lie and say it was advertising, but the reality was it was communications. It was pretty unsexy, and um, I I was online and I Googled or Facebooked my name, just like everybody does. It's a rite of passage. You have to do it at least once, or in my case, several times. But uh, anyway, found a guy in Australia, also named Lars Lindstrom, that um, I just kind of was checking out his Facebook profile. Thought, oh, that's funny. It's a unique name, but there he is. Um, and he had a, a company called ReadCloud. Uh, it was like 10 years ago when he was trying to, um, and I think it's still, it's doing really well actually in Australia right now, but um, uh getting kids literature online. So all their textbooks and stuff online. And I messaged him after I checked out his website and I said, hey Lars, cool name and cool company. This is this looks awesome, but your video sucks. I think I probably said a little bit nicer, but um, along those lines. Uh, I'd love to, I do video stuff. I'd love to make something for you. He immediately responded, said, you know what? We're just looking for a videographer, you know, or some sort of like new video. What do you got in mind? And so we did. I, I made with my dad. Uh, he's a graphic designer and knows After Effects and, and motion graphics really well. And we made a video for him and sold him a video. It was like right after I graduated. And it was immediate. It was amazing. So that's the kind of thing that you got to do. You got to branch out a little bit. And don't be, 
don't be that like stereotypical artist that's like, no, I only do music videos. I only do short films with like hands. My, my wife and I always make fun of like that shot you always see in trailers of like the hand trailing like a field of wheat. You know what I mean? The camera's like slow motion, handheld, following behind, and it's just the hand like dragging some, across some like wheat ready for har- harvest. And it's uh, beautiful. Every single time I see it, it's beautiful. But it's kind of artistic. And you're not going to be doing that when you first start out, maybe. Um, so yeah, that's number one. The next thing I want to talk about. Um, oh man, are we only eight minutes in? Nine minutes in? Ugh. Might be a short episode this week, guys. But that's okay. I think we're all right with that. Um, next thing I want to talk about is the power of free. Um, we've kind of talked a little bit on the podcast, uh, so far about free labor and it's tricky, right? We don't want to give our labor away for free, um, because some people don't deserve it. Some people will just abuse you and use you for your labor and they won't ever progress. They won't ever do anything cool. They won't ever do anything profitable. And so you got to be a little bit careful about it. But you just kind of have to have a keen eye for go-getters and for people that you believe in. Um, I'll tell you a couple examples of free labor for me when I was starting out. So the first one um, was my cousin, Mossy. Um, was, I mean, he's, he is just a brilliant composer. He did all, a lot of music for Yo Gabba Gabba, that kid show. And um, he had a, a, an ad agency for a while. And one of his clients was editing this documentary. I think it was USC versus UCLA football rivalry or something like that. And they needed a sizzle reel cut, but he was, his budget was exhausted. They didn't have any more money for his client. So he called me up one night. He said, hey, is there any chance you'd be willing to come down to the studio tomorrow uh, and and edit this sizzle reel with this director. Um, I have zero dollars, and I know that sucks, but the money's just gone. Would you do it? And I said, yes, I believe in Mossy. I love Mossy. He's, he's an amazing, talented cousin, and he's gotten me paid opportunities before, and not that even that matters. He's just a cool guy, and I like hanging out with him. So I said, yes. So I went to the studio and we were editing this uh, sizzle reel and I um, got to talking with this director. His name was Jack and uh, we just really hit it off. He seemed pretty rad and I had a great conversation with him. And then we all, the three of us went to dinner afterwards. And at dinner, I kind of jokingly said, yeah, well, this is fun for me. Just call me next time you have a paying gig. And it was like, it was funny and we kind of laughed and, and that was that. And I went my way and it was maybe eight hours, you know, total. And that was that. Literally two weeks later, uh, Jack called me and he said, hey man, remember when we were just talking about a paid gig? Um, this director that I just met, he goes, well, I got something for you. And it ended up being this feature documentary that he wanted me to shoot and and edit as well. That was back when I was editing. I don't do that anymore because I would hate my life. But uh, for all you editors out there that are killing it, good for you. Happy for you guys. Um, anyway, so I went and did this documentary and edited it. I think it ended up paying something like $25,000 all in. So it was, it was like this, and it was maybe, oh my gosh, I want to say we shot maybe 10 days and edited 10 days. So sure, 20 days of work for about 25000 for a young kid that was still in his graduate program. It was amazing. Loved it. So not only did I do that, it turned into like a years-long relationship, and I still hang out with, with Jack. And uh, I love that guy. I mean, I know his family. He knows my family. He comes over. I go over there. And um, I mean, that was like eight years ago, and it's 
turn into multiple projects. Um, I, I love being, I love having Jack in my network that I can, if I've got an idea or something, I can show it to him and say, hey, what do you think about this and vice versa? And uh, it's, it's become a really great relationship, not only uh, a working relationship, but a friendship. So that's the first example. Second example of free labor was um, one that I actually mentioned on the podcast that it was my dad, but it is a really big deal because it's, I, I can like look back on my 24, 25 film, uh, feature film career, and I can pinpoint it to this one moment, uh, which was, I was, I did a, a wedding like engagement session. I wasn't even the wedding videographer for this couple. And to be completely honest, I couldn't tell you the names of the couple getting married. I don't even know how I got the gig. I think it was a Craigslist ad that I answered. I mean, it was just like, it was so dumb. I got paid like $150 to go shoot for an hour, like it, nothing. But I met this photographer and um, <laughs> he was, <laughs> I think he was wearing shorts <laughs> at this engagement session, just like this super laid back personality. And he's just this cool guy. And I could tell that he just, I liked him. There was something about him. His name was Jeff. That's not why I liked him, uh, but uh, you get the point. Um, anyway, all, like the whole like wedding party and the planner and everybody went out to lunch afterwards. And I'm like, I'm going to sit next to this guy. So I sat next to Jeff and I'm like chatting him up. Uh, he's, he's buddies with this guy that, uh, the lead singer of the band messed. And, um, he goes, Hey, we're doing this music video at UCLA. I think it was USC. We're doing this music video at USC, um, tomorrow night. <clears throat> but I love, I love the way you work that glide cam thing, that steady cam. Can you, would you come and, and get some shots? I can't pay you anything. Cause I'm doing this as a favor for my buddy. Uh, but, uh, but I like you. Seems like you have a pretty good eye. Come do this thing. I said, absolutely. I'll do it. So I went and did it for free. And I got to meet Jeff, got to know Jeff and his family. Uh, I met Mest. And uh, no, we just had a great time, man. And um, we just kept in touch. He ended up hiring me as a wedding videographer in Arizona. He lived in uh, Lake Havasu, Arizona. And, and said, would you be interested if I like pitched you to my clients because he was a photographer out in Arizona. If I pitched you to my clients and we did like a package deal, I said, absolutely. So I went out to Arizona probably three or four times to do weddings with them. And he always talked about this dream of doing a feature film. And I always kind of went, uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard this before. Yeah. Yeah. You got it, man. Give me a script. And so, so one night he calls me, he's like, I'm doing, it. I'm going to do it. And I was like, all right, send me a script, Jeff, for the last time. I'm serious. I'll do it. Just send me a script. And he uh, did. It was 48 hours later. He called me. He said, I haven't slept. I've got a rough draft. I'm sending it to you. And he did. And it was like surprisingly pretty hysterical and outrageous. And I was like, my gosh, this guy's dedicated. And they just did it. He and his wife and their friends just like called in all the favors from Lake Havasu. And they put this thing together. And I, and I drove out there and I could not tell you what the rate was. I could not tell you how much I got paid. It was not very much. I know that much. They just didn't have it. And it was like, I mean, I was giving them my camera package and my time. I think we shot for like 22 or 23 days. Just to give you some perspective, I'm doing TV movies now in 12 shooting days. And um, so it's a little bit different. You know, we're like... It just wasn't organized because how could it be? We were just a bunch of kids doing a feature film the first time in our lives and having a great time and trying to figure things out. 
But um, anyway, did this film and it did two things for me. One, it gave me the confidence to know that I could do a feature film, which is a big deal for a young cinematographer starting out. There's like, you know, you do short films and you just kind of, you just try, you just try to get to that level where you can shoot something and have it look cohesive and uh, work, you know, and there's like a bunch of rules like eye lines and things and lights and making everything look good is difficult, can be hard for a feature film, but I did and I thought it looked pretty okay for, you know, a first run and and uh, they were pretty happy with it and it and it did okay. I mean, it didn't like, they thought, you know, of course it was going to blow up and turn into this cult classic and yada yada and it didn't do that but um it did make its money back uh it is on amazon just like everything else um and it's a fun little film if you're into raunchy teen comedies um but anyway what it so so first of all it's built my confidence that i could do a feature film the second thing it did uh I, i made friends within that network that were doing other feature films and i was able to kind of pitch myself for those projects and it just ballooned and scaled from there and snowballed. And that was like three or four analogies in one sentence. But you get the idea that it snowballed and and here we are. Uh, something like, actually exactly six years later, exactly six years ago, I was on that set. So yeah, and I've done, I think, 24, 25 feature films now since. And I'm very comfortable in that space. And I, but I can really truly pinpoint that free steady cam day, glide cam day that I did with Jeff for that probably terrible mess music video um, that might be on YouTube. I should find it. I should find it and I should share it because it's probably really, I mean, let's just say the steady cam is probably terrible. That's what I'll say. Um, I'll bet the music's wonderful and I'll bet the other cinematography is beautiful, but I'll bet the steady cam stuff is terrible. Uh, anyway, so, so yeah, <clears throat> free labor. What do you think? I think I think there, it can be beneficial because I, I those are the two examples that I can trace back. There's probably plenty of other examples that I'm leaving out right now that I've truly forgotten about. Where I donated my time, I donated my equipment, and I did it for free, and I came in and it it turned into nothing. Just didn't do anything for me. But I'm not. I don't remember that. I don't. I literally don't remember those instances because they're not important. You just like, you say, I'm not, I'm not working. I'm not doing anything on Tuesday night when this person needs me. And who knows, it could turn into something. That's two examples that basically one of them launched my entire career, I would say. And the other one uh, turned into a really great relationship and, and a career. I mean, I, I've made a lot of money working with, with Jack over the years. So, so yeah, there's that. Uh, what else? What else can we talk about? Here we are, you know? I just feel like, have I talked about acorns enough? <laughs> they should be a sponsor, man. Ugh, sponsors. How do we feel about sponsors? Let's talk about the podcast for a second. Let's talk about the direction of the podcast and, and what we see with with creative income. What, what do we envision for its future? Because right now this is a freebie, you know? And so it's like, it, this completely is in, is in line with what I'm talking about right now. This is my time. You know, it's, it's 9 o'clock p.m. at my house right now, and my kids are asleep. That's kind of why I'm talking weird. And, uh, but, like, 
I could be watching a movie with my wife right now. You know, I could be hanging out, doing other things, uh, but I'm not. Not that it's like a major sacrifice, because it's not. I, you know, it's once once a week for now, and I probably spend about three or four hours a week on the podcast. But um, it is free. It's it's free and it's valuable to me and you, um, and that's and that's cool. And that's why I want to keep doing it. Uh, I do want it to scale um, for for me. Uh, for you, obviously, yes. Like the more I can educate, the more I can help people out. Uh, just it, it really excites me. It genuinely does. I love teaching. Uh, I love it when people text me. You guys are texting me a lot right now, and I love it. And I'm sorry if I don't get back to you immediately. Um, but I see the text, and I get excited about it every single time. Um, or you know, there's there's Facebook messages. I'm there's a lot of people reaching out, and I and I really genuinely appreciate that stuff. Um, but it is ultimately something that I will monetize. You know, if I can if I can scale the podcast to the point that I think it should scale, um, I want to monetize it. And I don't know what that looks like. Um, does it look like running ads, the beginning, middle, and end of the podcast? Those don't bug me. I usually skip over them. Uh, I should probably take that part out, but I won't yet until I get an ad, and then I'll come back and edit that part out. But... Um, like I, it doesn't bother me when, when other podcasts have ad because I get it. You've got to, you've got to monetize it somehow. And sometimes they're really like specific, you know, sometimes the ads make a lot of sense, you know, it's like, oh, like if I could get acorns to sponsor this podcast, that would make a lot of sense because I think everybody could benefit from something like acorns, especially in the creative field. Um, there's also, there's also the Patreon route which I'm leaning a little bit more towards. So, so Patreon is basically like a fan-supported page where I can provide extra content, like access to, to me or additional, like maybe video you know, form, uh, maybe like a special interview with a CPA that specializes in uh, the creative industry, stuff like that, where I can make a little bit more like extra value and, and try to get a percentage of the fans that are listening to the podcast over there. So there's that option, which I like. I like that option a lot because it's like kind of uninvasive. Maybe I do both. Maybe I do like one or two ads on the podcast and then also have the Patreon page. Um, and it's, I think it's, you can basically like set a price. You guys can set a price. You could say, I want to pay $2 a month for this Patreon page. And it's like a nice way to support, you know, what I'm doing and, and kind of pay the bills and, you know, cause it's, I, I think I pay like 200 bucks a year for the podcasting site. And so it's not expensive, you know, and I had the equip the audio equipment already. So that, that wasn't a big deal, but, um, it'd be nice, you know, I wouldn't be mad, uh, about two bucks a month from some of you. I wouldn't be mad about $10 a month from some of you if you're getting that much value out of it. But I don't know. It's a conversation that we can have. And, um, so there's that, that option. And the last option, of course, is charging a monthly subscription for access to me and a creative in, uh, in a creative group of people like Hivemind or Mastermind Group, where we say, okay, here's what we're trying to do. We're trying to set goals and reach objectives. And, and I'm a little less keen on that. What I, what I know I will do in the future is do like that CPA thing, bringing a, a CPA on as... And, but like doing a live event where I can have like a certain amount of tickets where, you know, 20 to 50 people can sign up and ask direct questions for, you know, CPA that specializes in, in tax incentives and stuff for the creative fields. 
Um, and we sell tickets for that. And we only have a limited amount of tickets. And then we post it on Patreon afterwards or something. So there's those options. Uh, and, but I, I'm curious what you guys think and, and what works for you. Um, because eventually, yeah, if we can get the numbers I'm hoping to get, which I think, I think is somewhere in like the thousand downloads an episode. If I can get to a thousand downloads an episode, which I'm not anywhere close to right now. So you guys don't have to worry about this for a few years, but, uh, or a few months, hopefully about a year, um, thousand downloads an episode. And at that point, I would think, I think it would be really beneficial to, for me, um, to start to monetize it somehow. So, uh, I'm curious what your thoughts are. What do you guys think? Should I do, should I run ads? Should I do Patreon? Should I do a uh, mastermind group? Um, or kind of all three? What do you think? I, I'm curious to see what your thoughts are on that. But um, how are we doing? We're like 25 minutes in. I think that's good. I, I talked about a lot of important things, uh, things that really benefited me when I was first starting out. Um, and you listened. If you made it this far, gah, bravo. You know, just thank you so much. You guys are great. Well, let's do it, dude. Let's sign off. Let's go to bed or go watch a movie with my wife. Not you guys. You know what I mean. Let's <sighs> get weird. Okay, thanks guys. Have a good week. Bye.